On this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective, we're going to be talking about the Sixers' big week, a couple of big wins on the road, and then coming home to squander some demons or squash them, whatever you want to call it. We're also talking Flyers, Lil Nova basketball, Bryce Harper is dropping bombs, and we have a fun new segment at the end of the show talking about our favorite baseball movies. But first, send request, play us in. You have no idea how high I can fly. Against Irving. Butler keeps it. Jimmy! Yes! Man, what a sound from our man Mark Zumoff. Uh, just calling the end of that game against Boston. It felt so good to get that out of the way. Kind of get rid of the demons of the past. Justin, before we get into it, how are you doing, man? I'm doing lovely, man. And as you, as you can see, I am sporting my uh, jersey, my Bryce Harper Phillies pinstripes that just came in the mail today. I was very excited. I was in the shower when I got the alert that the package had been delivered. Um, and uh, I go outside and it wasn't there. So I had to do a little, do a little search around the complex and I uh, eventually found it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's very, very exciting. And, uh, you know, I sent you a picture earlier of all four jerseys because I am a four for four guy and just very excited about just it's just this is awesome just this is definitely the coolest uh I never really spent money on a Phillies jersey before like I lucked into a gray Halliday I found it um after I think he'd retired and um it was real cheap and so I think that, that the Phillies was like the the one thing I had had yet to spend money on so you know, you remember from the last pod, one of the last podcasts when they went online, I just jumped on and got it. And it is it is awesome. So even though we're talking Sixers today and, uh, you know, mostly Sixers and a little bit of Flyers at the end, uh, I just felt it necessary to strap on the garb today. Um, it is absolutely beautiful. And we'll be sure to tweet out that picture of Justin's four for four. I think the coolest thing about the four for four jersey experience or whatever you want to call it is that there's so many different options right now within the city I mean with the Eagles you have Wentz as pretty much your go-to young star and with the Flyers I mean you have Provorov right yeah I have Provorov but you could go Couturier you could go Giroux you could go Voracek you could go Carter Hart yeah that's what I was gonna say I would think that the most I guess he's the youngest player but the most popular jersey is probably going to be that Carter Hart jersey. So you have Wentz, uh, you have Hart or whoever you want. And then the Phillies is kind of a toss-up. I mean, Harper's going to be that guy, but if you want to be an outcast or an outlier, you might go with your Hoskins jersey, or you already have the Hoskins jersey, or you could also go with um, Aaron Noah. Aaron I think Nola. that's yep. that's a really good purchase. That's one that I'm considering. Uh, he's quiet. It's quiet to have his jersey, but... It's one of those ones that I think is going to be um, it's going to be around for a long time. And then the Sixers, you can go anywhere, really. You can go anywhere with that. Yeah, I have Simmons and Embiid, and I have that city jersey, and it is probably my favorite jersey to wear. It's uh, And yeah, I see you're rocking the blue today. Is that a oh, yeah. Embiid? This is, so we're going to talk about my uh, 
Three for four. I don't have a Flyers jersey. I need to get mine from China. I go the opposite way of you. You have the four for four official garb from, are they all from Fanatics or do you get them in different places? They're all from Fanatics, yeah. So that's our unofficial shout out to Fanatics. There we go. You got the Fanatics four for four. I got the uh, Beijing, wherever they construct these jerseys, four for four. So right now, today, I'm rocking my boy who had a double-double on Tuesday night. This is J.J. Redick. Oh, look right? at that. Yeah. Very unconventional, but he was my favorite player in college when I was a really young kid, and I actually saw him break an ACC scoring record at the Wells Fargo Center. So I'm so happy that he's finally home in Philly, and I don't have to be that guy who is a hated Duke fan who just happens to love J.J. Redick. Uh, my Eagles won. I have two of them. Been rocking the Nick Foles Super Bowl patch jersey, also from China, ever since they won that Super Bowl. Um, But my classic jersey that is all of a sudden incredibly relevant again, number 10, Deshaun Jackson. I think I got it at Foreman Mills or something. It doesn't have the red stripes around the, I'm sorry, the uh, green stripe around the sleeve, but I got D-Jack for the birds. And then I am so far behind in the times. I have uh, Chase Utley, two of his jerseys. I have the batting practice red, and I have the cream, whatever you want to call that day, Thursday uniform, both Chase Utley. Oh, yeah. And then my my dark horse Philly one that I have is, I want to say, eight or ten years ago at Alumni Weekend. They had a uh, malfunction, and they, they gave out a deck of cards to every fan, and there was supposed to be a very limited number of cards where you got an official jersey, and they misprinted, and so many people got these official jerseys, so we had to come back on a different day to get them. But I have a Mitch Williams official on-field stitch jersey that I got him to sign when I saw him at the ballpark, so that's kind of my golden jersey just because of the signature, and it's literally the jersey that he wears. That he not that he wore on field, but it's the authentic. Like you can feel the difference in the stitching. So that's that's my three for four, and I got to get working on my Carter Hart Chinese jersey. Yeah, we're gonna hook you up. Um, and the the Utley, I mean, you could wear the Utley forever, really. And like same thing with the Halliday, you could wear the Halliday forever. And dude, those Deshaun, I feel like they're gonna make a killing on Deshaun Jackson jerseys, All, unless like there's probably a ton of people that like never got rid of their old one, right? But um, you would assume you know, so. I mean, that's people, I've, I've people who like were Deshaun Jackson fans back when and didn't have a jersey. Now they get another chance. So I assume that's going to be like the second wave. So I haven't seen whether they're up on Fanatics or not. But um, I'm not like the I'm not like the official spokesperson for Fanatics or anything. But like <laughs> I do, just we're just I, vouching for yeah, them. I do frequent their site quite often because I am a, I am a sports nut and I I do look I do like the stuff that they have. So um, I would imagine that they're going to make some good sales off of him. I would say so, and I, I need to make a good pick on my Flyers jersey because you, you can go so many different ways with that as well. I think yeah. Carter Hart's the way to go, but you almost can't go wrong with the G jersey just because, I mean, he gets a lot of hate in the city, but he's been around for so long, and he's just a name in this. He's kind of going to be like the Utley of the Flyers. If you have his jersey, that's one you're just going to wear and never forget the man that was. Yeah, and I think people, we'll talk about this when we get to the Flyers, but I think people are starting to come around and wise up about that because and especially now that his, as his career is, is getting into those twilight years, he's still so good. You can't go wrong with a Claude Giroux jersey. So anyway, we digress. That's it. That's the uh, four for four fanatic moment. 
If you have a four for four setup that you want to tweet out at us, make sure you use the hashtag fan perspective. You can do hashtag four for four. We like to spice things up with PHs, so do PH four for four because we're like that. Show us your swag, your Philly swag. And before we get into this, I just want to mention that our podcast is produced by Longshot Media. Yes, that's my last name, and that's my website. We are the first original content on Longshot Media. Justin, we are pioneers of the Longshot Media podcasting extravaganza. Um, I'm really trying to spread out and get a lot of original content on there. So if you want to do a podcast under the name Longshot Media, I'll help edit it, do whatever you want, hit me up, also have services. But check out my website, Longshot Digital Media. That's what our podcast is now presented by because we put this together with all our hard work. And before we get into the Sixers, I want to incorporate a new segment real quick. It's just called First Things First. We're just going to get something out of the way that uh, it's big, but it's not big enough that we're going to talk about it for a long time. So as you know, Villanova won two of the last three championships. They're back in the tournament. They won their first round matchup 61-57 over St. Mary's, and they play Purdue tonight at 840. I hope to have this podcast out before that game is over. If not, they've either won or lost, but they made it to the second round and are on yet another run towards that national championship. Temple got knocked out early. Uh, by Belmont, which hurt, and I took Temple out two spots, and LSU just beat Maryland, who lost to Belmont, so my bracket is absolute toast right now. That's okay, because we have the Philadelphia 76ers. Justin, wow, what a week for the Sixers. Honest to God, what a week for the Sixers. You go into Milwaukee on Sunday night, you take down the Bucks 130-125, to On national television, it was heated. I loved it. I loved the battle between Ben Simmons and Giannis. I loved Joel going off as well. Then they get by in Charlotte um, against the Hornets on Tuesday night. Like I said, JJ gets his first career double-double. I sell my tickets for half the value because I wasn't feeling a a two-and-a-half-hour drive with Temple playing later that night and no Joel also sitting up towards the rafters. So I ended up watching that one on TV. Then they come back Wednesday night, and they finally slay that demon that is the Boston Celtics. What a monstrous win in the Wells Fargo Center. It was rocking, man. It was rocking there. Yeah, like you said, what a week, you know, and they either start off with that Milwaukee game and, you know, it's on a Sunday, national television. You're like, all right, here, here's the they've been building. Here's the chance to show the rest of the league like we're legit, you know, because they'd stumbled. They were building and then they they'd, they'd lose those games against, you know, Oklahoma City. They'd lose. They've they've lost three already to Boston, um, the, the, you know to games, to guys like Houston and James Harden. Um, so the Sixers, and in some respects, are, are a team that's still figuring out how to play with each other. And so I think a lot of people right now are looking at them as this third or fourth seed that 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 could get to the finals if they have the right route. You know what I mean? Like if they, if they miss Boston or if they miss Toronto. Um, but these... This week was a real good indication that they're going in the right direction and starting to figure each other out. And, 
you know, when one guy doesn't step up or one guy's having a bad game, another of the big four steps in. You know what I mean? And even and even you said it with JJ being that fifth guy having a monster game um, against when they needed him the most. Right. You know, it was one of those nights where you, uh, no Joel. I felt I felt that all the stars that were playing, aside from Joel just sitting out, I didn't feel like we were going to get that full performance, 100% effort. Just I knew how big that game was on Wednesday night. So you got that feeling that that could be a game that you just squeezed by, and they did, thanks to uh, JJ and his performance. Yeah, yeah, really. So, so the starting five starting to gel, and uh, that's really nice to see. I mean, Milwaukee, it was an incredible basketball game. I mean, it really was. What more did you need to see? Um, that is the NBA needs more of that. You know what I mean? The NBA, yes. the NBA desperately needs a 76ers Milwaukee rivalry, a 76ers Celtics rivalry. And I'll touch, you know? I'll definitely touch on that later, but you are so right about that. It's, it's genuine passion to beat the other team. It's a rivalry where you're getting in each other's face and it's not diva BS. It's, Ben Simmons, who isn't usually that vocal of a guy, getting in Giannis, who is one of the brightest stars in this league. That's one takeaway I had from it. He's the, I mean, he's if not the MVP of the league, if it's not Harden, right? Exactly. And I look at JoJo's numbers that night, and he had a, he had a monstrous game, 40 points, 15 boards. You think that that's going to be the performance of the night, and then Giannis comes in with 52 points. It was just... I think he had 52 points. Uh, I forget exactly how many uh, rebounds he had, but he had 22 attempts from the free throw line in that game, and I think he was 21 of 22, which when you're looking at a guy of that size, that's that's incredible shooting at the free throw line, and that's that's free points. You know, 19 of 21, he was 90% from the from the free throw line. That's that's free buckets. Yeah, you really couldn't touch him all night. You know what I mean? Anytime he was in the paint, you just you lay a finger on him. He's get he's drawing that foul. I mean, that's the respect that he gets and the attention that he gets from the defense. And Joel gets that too, but uh, it was like watching have you know two heavyweight prize fighters in there. You have Joel knocking down threes and, you know, doing that back foot jumper, spinning out of it. And, and then you have Giannis just, just slamming it in there like a monster. And the one man, he's, the, he's, he's so good, dude. He's at, he's, he's just built so well. That's what I notice every, and it's, it's not, it's a little bit weird, I guess, but when I watch him practicing without his Jersey on and he's just got that wife beater on, you just look at the length of his arms, combined with the pure muscle and he just has no body fat is it's a wingspan that you can't stop with the agility the muscularity I don't know what the word I'm looking for but he's just built like a guard with super long arms super tall and he's got handles and he's not like a he's not a traditional is he a center he's a center right or is he a four no he's he's like a super three four but he can also post you up in the five. He's like he's as big as he's as big as some team centers. Like he's, he's oh yeah. that freak of an athlete. Um, you know, so it was it was really 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 fun. And if you're a basketball fan, he's six eleven by the way. Six eleven. Oh my god, yeah. So if you're a basketball fan, it was an incredible game to watch. But anyway, from the Sixers perspective, you're. It was just a back and forth battle. The Sixers had a nice lead at one point, and then you know the third. Here comes Milwaukee back. Giannis had I think seventeen points in the third quarter. Um, he was insane, and and then you get that sequence at the end that that signature sequence where Giannis 
you know, stuffs it and he starts screaming at the crowd and, and, and Ben Simmons' face. And then on the other side, it comes back. Ben, watching the rebound on the wing like a hawk, swoops in, dunks it, and gives it right back to Giannis. And I think at that point, the the Sixers were um, they they I forget what the, the score was, but you were you felt good about it. I think it was they had the game in hand at that point. It might have been one eighteen to like one twelve at that point or something, and. It just felt good. And, 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 you know, Joe puts up 40. Jimmy has 27. He's 50% from the field. Ben, this wasn't a great game by, by Ben points-wise. You know, he only had eight points, nine assists, nine boards. So he was, he was okay. This was a game where I think if you're a Ben detractor, uh, you're kind of like sitting there going, all right, this is the stuff that drives me crazy about him, right? Until you see him do that at the end of the game, and then right. you're just thinking, I love seeing some sort of attitude out of him. I, yes. I like that he's a, a more soft-spoken player, and he's not really out in your face talking as much. I, I like Joel as well, but Joel does a lot of talking. Ben kind of stays back and is quiet. But this was Ben in the heat of the moment just getting into it with Giannis, and it's great for the game, like you said before. The only thing I take out of this game that's uh, really a negative, I guess, I mean, Giannis is a monster. There's, It's very difficult to contain him, but it's another in a long, long list of performances where star players, no matter who the team is, no matter how good they are, just lights up the Sixers' defense. Yeah, the defense is still a concern. You know, uh, even with we added Jimmy Butler, um, who's supposed to be a very defensively um, minded player. And I think he's actually given us more offense than he has defense since he came. So yeah, it's concerning how many star players um, seem to have their way with the Sixers. Um, I'm not sure how much that concerns me because, you know, if Giannis can put up 52 and you can still win, I think that says something. Uh, but it also seems, it also kind of feels like you're playing a, with a little bit of fire there. Uh, because you can't allow guys to, in, in a seven-game series, you can't allow Giannis to put up 52 points or 50 points in, in, in seven games. I mean, that's just, it's really hard to do that every single night, to, to combat that every single night. That means everybody, including Joel, your best player, has to put up 35-plus. Yeah, I see that. I can almost see the flip side of that, though, where it's almost impossible for Giannis to throw up 52 every night. I feel yeah. like there was a combination of the moment. Giannis came to play. He was ready for the nationally televised game. JoJo was as well. Like if, if Giannis doesn't drop 52, we're talking about a 40.15 rebound effort from Joel and a Sixers win. But Giannis happened to drop 52 and is an absolute monster. So, I, uh, you know, if he can do that over seven games or five games, whatever it takes, props to you, Giannis. You are the Greek freak. So I, I'm not as disappointed about giving up a big game against Giannis. It's just something to note that that's something that happens often. Um, and then we go into Wednesday. So we, we get that win in Charlotte. It doesn't even feel... I don't care that it's a close win. It's 118 to 114. Like I said, JJ gets that double-double. But it's a game that we all overlooked. Whether the team overlooked it or not, who knows? JJ stepped up. We were all thinking about Wednesday night. And my, oh my, did that game live up to the hype. And we get that win. We get that much desired win against the Boston Celtics. You know, and I'm, I'm 
I'm at work on Thursday and I'm, I'm texting people and I'm saying, how nervous are we if if we lose again tonight? How nervous are we if we get swept this season? It, it, because to me that if you get swept and I know a seven game series is different, but this team has just had our number like they for some reason they just they shoot so well against us. They move the ball fast. They create issues for us on defense. And it just seems like whenever we play these guys, they're, they're guys who are not elite players outside of Kyrie Irving, just seem to really have strong performances. Al Horford, Aaron Baines, who didn't end up playing, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier. Like these, Rozier went off again. Right. He went uh, off again. He's been some, quiet all season, but as soon as he plays the Sixers, it's 20 points and four for four from three. So listen, at the end of the day, like that makes for a great rivalry. I'm happy with that, but it's frustrating for us because we don't, I don't understand how this continues to happen. And so for me, another, a loss was really going to be devastating um, to me. Uh, we had to get off the snide. We had to show that they're not going to come into our house and, and beat us four times in a row. It's not going to happen. We had to show them that, uh, you know what, if we do see you guys in a series again, it's you're, you're going to have to work for it. So and it was an incredible basketball game. I mean, I'll be very honest. Basketball is very hard for me to watch. Um, as, as much as I like, you know, you look at like a, a tight football game or a tight hockey game where like any play could, could blow the game wide open. Um, basketball is so hard for me to watch because of my anxiety and like the back and forth, like in a tight game that goes for, for 60 minutes back and forth. It's just, I'm like on the edge of my seat pacing around. It goes back to like, the, unhealthy the, yeah it goes back to like the lakers series uh with the flaw with, with the sixers back in like 2001 i was i was such a or not the, what was which was it, the raptor they played the raptors and the bucks uh to get to the finals and man i was just a little kid but i could just remember being like oh this is like torturous watching this back and forth basketball so that's what the the boston game was for me i was just like up moving around pacing the whole time and screaming my head off when Jimmy hit that shot. Man, and it really, the NBA sometimes can be a league where you tune in in the last two minutes and that's all you had to watch. And I guess that could be applied to this game as well because the last two minutes were phenomenal. But it was just such a roller coaster of an entire game where one minute the Sixers look like they're finally going to do it and then Boston goes on another run and you can't believe that Al Horford has hit another three yet again. How does this old guy keep doing it? And then oh Ben God. Simmons comes back, dishes an assist to Toby who hits a shot. Sixers are up again. It feels great. And then all of a sudden Tatum just drives right by and it's the whole game was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there's never a moment where you can sit there and think, oh, we're up seven points. I'm really comfortable that we're going to hold this lead. We could have been up 20 with 11 to play in the fourth, and I would have believed we wholeheartedly could have blown that game. Well, and they're up 67 or 69 to like 53, right, before halftime. And you're like, and I'm texting my basketball buddies. I'm, I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> this is this is what we waited all day for, you know? And, and I forget who said it. Maybe it was my brother. It was just like, this is when someone needs to step up. Someone has to, and I think... So let's let's talk about the the, the Marcus Smart thing because I think that was the turning point in the game. All right, we'll hit that we'll hit that right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that the whole game everybody came out with the right intensity. I think some games Joel Embiid uh, sleepwalks through whether it be the first quarter or a large majority of the game if it's a game that they're able to handle. But everybody came out ready to play. It felt like Joel was 
ready to show the world that I'm going to dominate on the national stage for the second game in three games or the second time in a, in a week. He was ready to prove all the haters wrong. Ben was being Ben where he was facilitating. He had some points, but he was just doing what he needed to do to make the game happen. Uh, Toby was playing well, and Jimmy Buckets wasn't really doing much on the Sixers half. And then Kyrie went off early in the game. It seemed like the Kyrie Irving show, which I guess I'll touch on it later where I think that could possibly hurt them having Kyrie just because so much of the offense runs through him. But early on, it seemed like, oh, here we go again. Kyrie's going off. Horford's doing the same BS that you can't believe is happening. Rozier's pulling stuff out of nowhere. Luckily, they contained Tatum, but it just felt like one of those games where, despite the Sixers having a solid performance and coming out strong, Celtics were going to find a way to beat us down. It was It's so frustrating because you, you, you watch... It's almost it, you almost feel like you can't have a turnover. You can't miss a shot because they're going to go down the other end and they're going to score. And it happened. They go on those runs. You know, uh, you miss a shot or you miss a three. They take it right down for a two or they take it right down for a three. And now all of a sudden it was you were within two. And now, uh, you know, three more possessions later. Now you're down like now you're down nine. It's like what? You know, it happens. They just. They're just a fast transition team. That's what that's Brad Stevens' system. That's what they do. So you know, going into this game, you guys, you have to make the shots count. You have to be, uh, you, you have to protect the ball. You have to protect your possessions. And we know that this team has struggled with turnovers. I think they did a decent job. I don't know what the turnover numbers they were did. in the game. I actually, I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. I'll touch on it after we finish the Boston game. But in those two big games, turnovers were the opposite of an issue, which. Whenever they lose a game, it seems that it's 20-plus turnovers. They kept it under 15 in both games, and in the Boston game, it was actually 8, so it was it was under 10 in that game. So it's really just like missing shots and them just counterattacking and, and making their shots count, and it was frustrating. And that happened, I think, for the first three, you know, three quarters of the game until the Sixers finally woke up with, uh, with what I think was a turning point in the game, which was the Marcus Smart incident. Um... You know, he now the sequence, I guess there, he had been jawing. I don't I forget if it was him or Rozier that were jawing before the game. But anyway, um, you know, Jojo sets a little sneaky pick on him. And he did. He 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 put he, his, he put his shoulder out there. Let's be let's if, let's I, call if you look at was. this from. Yeah. If you look at this from the perspective of somebody who isn't in Philly, which I don't know if there's anybody listening to the Philly fans perspective with this perspective, but you have to own up to it. Joel definitely threw an elbow in there and that should have been a, a foul call. And yeah, it should it warrant a shove. No, absolutely no. not. But, um, it was, it seemed to be a pretty blatant elbow there. So smart gets up, shoves him in the back, says, you know what? I've had it shoves Joel about five feet and all mayhem ensues. And so he ends up getting a double T, right? He gets a double technical and, and bounced. And what was weird was that Joel got a T two, so uh, it's it was weird. Like maybe it, they looked at that elbow there and and said you're getting a T for that. I, I, I guess actually is thought that, it was is that a technical foul. That's not really a technical foul, is yeah, it? Um, That's just like a. I, would that be a flagrant? A flag, I, it, it depends it was, because yeah, they have to take into account whether he intentionally and excessively stuck his elbow into Smart. 
Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not up with, I'm not super familiar with all the NBA. I just assume, I just feel like you get technicals more so for the, you know, the verbal type of stuff, the verbal abuse, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. So it's, to me, it's it's almost like they gave him the technical just for going after Smart when he really didn't even do anything. He just kind of got up and was ready to defend himself. So uh, I think they gave him a T just for going after Smart and and not really the elbow. I think if they had looked at the elbow as a foul, he might have gotten something extra there. So we we're kind of lucky. But, you know, hey, gamesmanship by Joe. Smart couldn't handle it, lost his cool. And that, I think, was a turning point because they lost. He's a, he's a really, no pun intended, he's a smart defender. And, you know, he's a, he's a guy that um, he's a guy that they, they can use in there. So they lost, you know, they lost one of their top six or seven guys. So that. Yeah. And. It's. I think it's really impressive how Joel handled that situation. I mean, do do you think that he acted a little bit in that in that shove? I I do see a little bit of a. He goes down and then maybe he dives a little further to sell it, which I. It is what it is, but I think he might have sold the dive a little bit. I don't think you can push down a seven foot man that hard, but maybe he just falls like that because he's so big and lengthy. Well, I think you and have he falls to down fall. like a big old tree. Yeah, you have to fall like that. It's almost like so. Imagine you're that big, right? You feel you get shoved from the. No, back. I would love to imagine I'm that big, <laughs> but you shove. You get shoved from the back, and you sort of. I don't know. You leave your feet so that like you, I don't know how to explain this. Like you, like you leave your feet and so that you can try to soften, you stick your arms out so you can kind of soften the blow. Cause I think if, if you don't protect yourself as you're falling, it's going to hurt more. So I, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but um, from like, I'm coming from like a tumbling pers- like a gymnastic perspective, which is a little bit of my background. So, uh, you know, you kind of take, you kind of do a little dive and uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I have to, I, I know when I saw it, I looked at it I was like, I think, I think he knew uh, what he was doing there, but he, it's very possible. He could have added a little bit to it there. I don't know if you hey, saw Joel's, but, Joel's great at, at throwing in that little yeah, of drama. I don't know if you saw, but there's a video circulating Twitter where like, I think it was during the Milwaukee game where like both Ben and Joel, like it looks like they're flopping. Have you seen that? I'm going to send it to you. It's like Ben goes up for a, Ben goes up for like a layup, gets fouled. And Joe's coming in behind him is not even involved in the play and just like sweeps his feet out and just falls. It's really weird. I don't, it's going around Twitter. I'll I'll have to send it to you. It's, it's, it's funny, but so I don't know. It depends on guess how you view that play. Yeah, either way, you're right. It was a turning point in the game. Props to Joe for holding his composure relatively. I mean, he charges at Smart, and Tobias Harris steps in um, intelligently, grabs him, holds him back. But I think Joel realized very quickly that this game was way too important for him to go at Smart. I think it clicked mm, probably three steps into his charge towards towards Smart that if I go back at him and so much as pretend or or make an effort at a swing I'm done from this game we saw how this team played without me for those eight games I was out earlier and who knows what the implications are going forward I mean I know the the schedule's not huge um in the the next few games but losing Joel Embiid was not something that was going to happen if we wanted to win that game so by him backing off there that was maturity that was uh required and where the push was the turning point in the game, I think that is um, where it kept going in the Sixers' momentum. It could have come crashing back down very quickly. 
who knows, but before we get into talking about the end of the game, I want to go deeper into the Marcus Smart incident because it seems like this rivalry, which is it's been built up over the past few years, and I'm going to talk more about it, but the Marcus Smart Joel Embiid goes way, way back. Uh, there's an Instagram post on January 24th uh, when, of 2014 when Joel Embiid was playing at Kansas and uh, Marcus Smart was at Oklahoma State. Uh, Joel's posterizing Marcus Smart, and the caption is not very smart in all caps to jump on that one. So he's been trolling Marcus Smart for upwards of five years, and he gets him again. Uh, when asked about the incident, <laughs> Joel says, Marcus Smart got heated because I asked him if his barber gives him the Udon noodle haircut on purpose. Also, his goatee looks like pubes. Official quote from Joel Embiid. I don't know who Udon Noodle is. Uh, do you know who Udon Noodle is? No, I have no clue. Um, and Somebody so, uh, that gets him going. I guess. Or is he talking about like his hair looks like ramen? Is that what he's saying? No idea. Like, you know how you take out ramen out of the package and it looks like it's like wavy? <laughs> is that what he's trying to say? I don't know. So. <laughs> I think so. I think so. It Here, could, Udon I mean, it Noodles. Oh, it's like... It looks like just, you know, what's the new stuff called? Pho, I guess. Pho? It's an, it's Pho? A, it looks like it's an Asian, it's a Japanese cuisine. Okay. It's a Japanese noodle, so Marcus Smart's hair looks like a Japanese noodle, and his uh, goatee looks like pubes. That is <laughs> Joel Embiid's official analysis of Marcus Smart. He is a golden quote, I'll tell you. If you're a reporter <laughs> in the city of Philadelphia, you love getting quotes from him, man, I'll tell you. Um, he's not do. afraid to like, he has no filter. Like he's not afraid. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I hope the like, kids aren't hearing what he says. You know what I mean? But, um, I mean, he, I'm, they yeah, do, he I'm sure they do, about, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care obviously, but he doesn't care. And he's still a kid as well. He's like true, 23 yeah, years old. So true. if he wants to tell the refs to F off, he tells the refs to F off directly into the microphone and yeah. pays for it and doesn't care. Yeah. He, he pays that fine. And, uh, just kind of, uh, Goes about his business, but and uh, speaking of fines, Smart was fined fifty thousand for that shove. So I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, he got a nice hefty fine for that. So give it to him. That was uncalled for. It yeah. was uh, yeah. There's no. It was awesome to see the heat of the moment get the best of the Celtics and not the Sixers. So that was cool. Yeah, but there's, there's no place really for that. For. No place for that. So I think he also had a fight one time in college with a fan. I think that's where he. That's actually why I know Marcus Smart. I didn't really pay attention to him in college, aside from. One time he went after a fan for some reason. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but um, I'll look it up and, and let you know. But really getting away from or moving past that incident, it was the turning point in the game, and it very well could have been the turning point in the season because it feels like this team is finally understanding their roles. For the longest time, it felt like Jimmy Butler came over here and he was doing some good things, but he didn't know how to... Uh, how to work in this offense and he didn't know how to sh not that he didn't know how to share the ball he, he actually seemed like he was timid to take over from Jojo and Ben uh, take the team away from them so it, it, he's been quiet he's been doing his job but he's been quiet along the way then you acquire Tobias Harris to boot and it's another person that you have to integrate into the system and we saw it happen when Miami formed their super team and we've seen it time and time again when all these big players come together, these great talents. You have to figure it out and work it out. And I think in these past two games, Jimmy Butler 
has figured out his role very clearly. It's I'm going to kind of get through the game, do my job where I have to, and then I am ready to take over in the fourth quarter and put this team on my back. In that Boston game, he gets 22 points, and he admitted that he didn't have any legs in the first three quarters, but it takes a, a true superstar and a true gamer to come in in the fourth quarter with tired legs and just carry the entire weight of the city. 15 fourth quarter points, and it, he wanted the ball in his hands. You look at him. You just look at the way he plays. You see the look on his face. He's, he wants the ball. He lives for that crucial moment that so many people try to stay in the corner when it comes down to two minutes, one minute, Jimmy Butler goes up to the ball, and says, "Give this to me." Boop, tray ball. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. He was incredible down the stretch. You just kind of knew, like, once he, st- he hit that first three, you're like, "Oh, thank you, Jimmy." And he hits that second three, and you're like, "Dude, so clutch." Thank you, God. And then you know, he hits that final shot. You know, it was sort of like you you needed at least a two to kind of. Um, you need at least a two because you know you knew that uh, they couldn't get into um, they couldn't get into range and they'd have to foul you. So, but then he goes and shoots that three, and it's like ah. And it, not only that, it was just the craziest play because he's running around. They're not fouling, which I couldn't believe. Like they're not. Wait, was this the last last play of the game? Yeah, am I, am, am I remembering it wrong? Yeah, I think he had the two. They were up by three. They were up by three. So they're they, up by three, so they just needed a bucket right. to make it a two-possession game. Right. They needed it. They needed the two. So then I think that's what I said. They needed a two, but um, then so he's running around like crazy. Kyrie's on him, and they're not fouling, and so he gets away. He slips away from uh, Kyrie, gets beyond the arc, lets it go, and it and does that little that crazy whatever he was, the crouching tiger, hidden dragon, the stealth squat. <laughs> It was so, and and you just, and you, if you're a fan, you're up and you're standing up and you're just going nuts and you're like, that's it. Let's go. You know what I mean? It was an awesome moment. And I love that about Jimmy Butler. I love that. I love that goofiness, like that gamesmanship that he brings to this team. I really do. And I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see it more. Like it seems like it comes out every now and again where he'll be captain clutch. And I think. That's hard in a in a team like this where you do have four guys who can all be the guy every night, um, and so it's 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 I'm sort of okay with it being like a rotating thing. Like if one guy's got to take the mantle one one night, and, and as long as everybody else is doing what they got to do, hey, if Tobias wants to score thirty one night, and then Ben wants to do the next night, and Jimmy, as long as we're winning, I mean, if it's a winning system and a winning formula. Fine. I think that's kind of maybe just what it is. It's just that you, you can't be the guy in this system with these players every night. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think back to across Philly sports in general. Regular season games where a moment happens that you're never going to forget. I feel like that moment where he's squatting there, they just won the game, his teammates surround him, and he's still just staring down the rim, uh, dead in his face. Just He's a monster. He, he knows what he did. Crowds roaring. That's a photographer's dream. I'll tell you that as I'm watching this, there were so many different angles, different shots because he held that pose and it's something that's going to stick in your brain. If they go on a run in this playoffs, even if they may, I would say if they make it to the finals and lose, that's something that you're never going to forget that that shot that Jimmy Butler hit when they finally got past the Celtics and it was like the one thing they needed I don't know. It just felt like a really iconic moment. You have your. It was. It was uh, great. You have your Philly Phillies. You have your Brad Lidge. Uh, 
you know, you have these moments that are in the playoffs that you remember, but this was a regular season one and uh, positive memories, I would say, because I don't want to touch a, a sore subject for you, but there is that goal against the Blackhawks in the uh, in the Stanley Cup finals. That is not such a positive memory. And of course, the regular season one of that Grand Slam last year uh, with Jason Hayward, uh, for some reason, just sticks in our head. But this is a really iconic moment in a regular season game that I, I really hope it it lives on forever because yeah, maybe it's a great. It's a game I'll never forget. Maybe it gets up there with, with the you know miracle of the Meadowlands number two. You know, yes. I mean, like you think yep. you think of like the regular season amazing things you see. Like you think of Miracle in the Meadowlands. You think of you maybe you'll look back and look at this game. I can't really think of a Phillies one. Do you think of a? Do you think of that? Redskins game where Michael Vick throws it like 90 yards. Oh my God, about dude. 70 through I, the air to Deshaun. That's one you'll I see never forget. That, I see that play all the time and it still amazes me when that ball leaves his hand. I'm like, oh my God. He almost throws it out of the stadium. Like it's, it just, it leaves his hand at like a 90 degree angle and it's just like, it's like, oh my God. So yeah, I think I think about that one too. It's an incredible play. Um, I always think of this is not a regular season game, but I always think of the the Jimmy Rollins against the L.A. Dodgers, um, the walk off, and it's like they're streaming out of the dugout. The Phillies have won it, and the the call by Fransky, it's incredible. I w- it's not a regular season game, but that one always when I hear that, like, and I'm driving, and I always feel like I'm gonna crash. Dude, there, we need to do a special episode just of. The memories. I think the playoffs are where they all are coming in. You have your Shane Victorino Grand Slam. You have the Matt Stairs walk-off. There's so many. But this is one of those regular season ones that you will not forget. And I I don't want to say that they have a formula to win, um, but it, it seems that they understand. This is how I see it. And let me know if you think any differently. You have Joel who's going to take most of the load throughout the first three, three and a half quarters of the game where he's consistent. You can get him the ball and he's going to give you 30 to 40 points almost every night, which is incredible. Ben Simmons is going to keep working as a facilitator. He draws defenders to him. He can drive. He can play in the post. Uh, He occasionally can hit a five to 10 foot little jumper, but he makes some incredible passes and plays really strong defense. So he kind of just gets his stats in, controls the team, Near a triple-double every game, but he's solid. J.J. Reddick's good for his three-pointers. He brings a good aggressive uh, mentality to the team, and I like his leadership, so I think that's a great spot for him. And then uh, Tobias Harris is kind of sprinkled around. He can go off for 30 one night. He can go for 15, whatever. He's not as loud. His points just accumulate, and he's solid. And then Jimmy Butler gets the ball in the fourth quarter, and you win the game. That's how I see it right now. And uh, do, do you like all the talk for all the talk of are they going to re-sign Jimmy Butler? I mean, that to me, that's like that's not even a question. I don't know how it can. I don't know how it can Man, even ta- be a question. Yeah, I had built that up um, when Tobias Harris was first acquired by this team, and I was excited because I looked at how Tobias played in the past and. I didn't know how he was going to uh, do when he got to Philly, but he he stepped in and played very well. But I thought that Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris were very similar players, and Harris is younger. It's not Jimmy wasn't playing well enough that he was worth keeping around for the money he was going to warrant. Now I think it's just it's a it's a intangible skill that he has, or I don't even if you know if you call it a skill. It's just something that is deep within him that not a lot of players have. I haven't seen it out of Harris yet. 
maybe because Butler's been taking on the load in that fourth quarter, but Harris doesn't seem like the player who's going to go all out and take over the game in crunch time where Jimmy Butler thrives off of that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you need a guy like that. You every for everything that he does, just just that sole fact, like you you talk about you know, it's that age-old thing, like put the ball in the hands of the guy. You, you know, if there's one guy you can put put the you know the game in his hands, who do you want it to be? And it's either Joel Embiid or, or Jimmy Butler at this point, really. And Jimmy has shown you that he can do it. He, I mean, he's done it multiple times right now. If he can't get it to Embiid, he's the next guy. So, and that's not a knock on Ben, but he's he's not that. He's just not that player. You know what I mean? Yet, anyway, he he's, you know, he is not the guy you want to give the ball to and have him. Jam, drive the lane um, for for a, for a, I mean he he can do it. This but. is a, yeah. This is actually ironic, and uh, I'm gonna talk about Joel um, after I, I touch on this because I was gonna mention this moment later on, but this is the perfect time to mention it. Jimmy took over that whole fourth quarter. Uh, Joel did his thing as well, but when it came down to absolute crunch time, tied one thirteen one thirteen. Who's got the ball in his hands? But Ben Simmons, and it was really funny. Jimmy inbounds it to Ben, and Dor- I was watching the ESPN version or stream, whatever you want to call it, because I only can watch on Reddit, and NBC Sports wasn't available that night, so I watched it on ESPN. Doris Burke, when the ball goes in, her immediate statement is, I think you got to go right back to him. You played almost exclusively through Jimmy. Which is a good point to make. And before she can even finish her thought, Simmons, foul, count it. A gutsy drive to the basket showcases excellent balance and control when he like slows down. It's om- I don't want to say it's a hezzy step. It was like he was re- not regaining, but just maintaining his balance without traveling, putting it up with his offhand and finishing a layup to go up to plus the foul. And then he steps up to the line and gives them a three point lead. I mean, that's clutch. He was willing to go in there and make that play. I, he probably didn't even think about it. He saw the open lane. He drove right past uh, Marcus Morris, who then had to catch up to him, and he makes an incredible shot. And those are the type of shots that he makes throughout the game when you wonder why doesn't he take more sh- shots in that area because it's just it's incredible how many of them fall, but that was a really clutch moment where Ben Simmons came through and took the team on his back 100% 100% and and again for every for every time that I for every criticism I make about Ben Simmons there's another point where I'm standing up being like I love this kid so I so don't definitely if you're listening don't think that I knock Ben Simmons he's just a different player than than Jimmy Butler or Joel Embiid a player that I I'm glad we have number one a player that I am do think do expect again we forget that this kid is so young still learning how to be an NBA player still learning what what he can do at this level and there there are those things like you say that he does and you're like this kid's going to be special but then there's the turnovers and the other things that he does it's like oh just just trust yourself man just like just use your athleticism trust your body trust your skills drive that lane don't be scared to get in there and make some contact that's really my only knock on him right now it's i think that if he would do that more he'll find success it's just, it's the hesitancy the then you know the not the not non-shooting aspect of him uh but again i love ben simmons and i wear his jersey you know religiously so i digress yeah i, I... I think it's just something where we know we've seen the flashes of Ben that 
is capable of being the best, not, I don't know about the best player in the league, but just someone who can take over a game with his sheer athleticism and a mismatch of size when you have a 6'11 guy who can drive like a point guard and is tough and then he'll post you up. It's something where we expect it consistently out of a 22-year-old, and that's a lot to ask of a kid who is, he's putting in the work. It's obvious. You, I mean, I guess to some people it's not obvious, and especially in his jump shot, you think it's it's not getting better. Why is it not getting better? But I saw somewhere a post where he's just in after practice every day putting shots up. So he's trying to fix it. He's trying to improve it. Yeah, and I think he will. I think he will. I, I'm not worried. I'm not. People are worried about Ben Simmons. I'm certainly not worried. Are there things I want him to improve on? Absolutely. But you know what? These this is a young, relatively young team, and you know. I, I still think you, people shouldn't freak out even if they don't make the finals this year. I, I don't think that they should freak out because I think meaningful basketball will be happening here for, um, you know, a number of years. And can you know, you have to question whether, you know, how much more can Elton Brand do? I don't, you know, he, he, he can restock the bench. Um, he can find an eventual su- successor to J.J. Redick. Um, but, you know, you're out of that period now where you're getting lottery picks. You're, that's done now. So that and the work is the process is essentially over. So and NBA free agency is not like other sports free agencies. They, there aren't these blockbuster deals that occur every summer, like in the NHL and, you know, like in baseball sometimes. So it's. I don't really know if there's going to be a ton of that going on. Um, and so Elton's going to have some work to do uh, depending on what happens. But, you know, I, I this is the group that's going to get it done. Yeah, and we're, we're very much still in this season. This is a season where it looks like they're constantly improving and possibly a championship contender. So we can worry about the free agency period when that time comes, when we see what they decide to do with all four players. But Elton Brand has touched time and time again that he's trying to get all four of these stars back. So I'm, I'm hoping to see this, this core group stay together for the next four to five years at least. And I really, I really hope that Philadelphia is able to uh, keep both Simmons and Embiid for the long, long term. I know the NBA is a league where you jump back and forth and do what you want, but I love that it seems that both players really love the city. But before I get off on a tangent about that, coming back to Joel's performance, I don't know how you feel in some of those games where it's not nationally televised. It's a Wednesday night against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. I know that's a really generic team to use because they always play poorly against the Cavs, but Cavs, whoever a team is that's struggling, and it feels like Joel Embiid is sleepwalking through part of the game. Uh, he's being lazy with his moves. He's not He's not incorporating himself into as many plays as you want him to. You want him to just take over, and it seems like he's walking through the game. This was a game where JoJo stepped up from uh, opening tip-off until the final buzzer. He set the tone very early, uh, scoring lots of points. But more importantly, at the end of the game, we talk a lot about offensive clutchness. You just watched a seven-foot man go step-for-step step with one of the most elusively quick guards in the league in Kyrie Irving and then block his shot. Then Marcus Morris tosses up a uh, follow-up shot, and Joel rips that board away from Kyrie as to say, I'm the man in this house. You are inferior. You're the beta. I'm the alpha. You know, it's, it felt like that was a really big moment that 
is overshadowed by Jimmy Butler's incredible performance. That was incredible. And I, I've been watching that on Twitter a lot because people have been retweeting it too. And it's an incredible play, like just to, to turn his body like that and block that shot out of the air. And that was a turning point in the game, or another turning point in the game, I guess you could say at the very end of the game. It was a game of turning points. Base, yeah, I mean, and so like the, the Kyrie gets stuck with, you know, or Joel gets stuck with Kyrie on the switch and you're like, oh boy. But man, that was uh, it was a great play. It was a really great play. Great game. You feel good about the Sixers right now, and um, it's just a win that kind of you need it. This fan base needed. This fan base needed it. The team needed it. Brett Brown needed it. Um, my dog needed it. So you know what I mean. We all needed it. So it's very very happy that they at least got one. Because now, because for me, it, it's mental now. Now you know you can beat those yep. guys. Now you yep. know. I feel it was a mental block. I love the, the rivalry. I put up an article on Section 215 this week about how the Sixers-Celtics rivalry is really important to the game. Excellent and article, by the way. Thanks, man. Uh, you know, people consider that Cavaliers-Golden State finals thing a rivalry. And yeah, they met four years in a row, but that didn't feel like it had the type of... I, I don't know how to explain it. It was a different Cleveland team that you saw every time, and it just felt like... There wasn't a real rivalry. The fans didn't hate each other. Golden State was just always better, and LeBron did LeBron stuff. And for that reason, it made the headlines where this is a rivalry that goes back years and years and years in the past. And there used to be a lot of those type of rivalries in the NBA. But in this new age league, and I sound like an old guy when I talk about it, you got guys... Teaming up instead of facing off against each other. You don't have the killer mentality. The last guy that really had that killer mentality, uh, I would say, is Kobe Bryant. When you look at Kobe compared to LeBron, the difference between the two of them is that Kobe wants to kill. When Kobe's out on the floor, he could be your friend off the court, but when you're on the floor, Kobe wants to kill. Instead, we have a lot of players who they're laughing, giggling during the games, butt slapping and whatnot on different teams. And you just lose that kind of pure rivalry to just to just plain and simply put it out there. You lose the pure rivalry aspect and Boston and Philly hate each other right now. You got the Eagles and the Patriots who, despite not pl even playing in the same league, I mean, what, conference, that's what I'm looking for. They play in the same league, but they don't even play in the same conference. But that that's just a game that if it every time it happens, both fan bases hate each other both teams hate each other you look at the Bruins and the Flyers that's a classic rivalry and then I guess the Red Sox Phillies aren't really that big of a rivalry but everybody hates the Red Sox because the Red Sox are stupid I so think it's the Mets we, you're looking at and they like the Mets and the and the Nationals for the Phillies right now right yeah yeah I'm, I'm just saying in the past how like there's a bunch of Philly Boston rivalries and oh, this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. quite possibly the top one. And what I mentioned in my article and I'll touch on here real quickly is just in recent years, the storyline is almost too good to be true. You have two. I went, I, I opened up with a statement about how it used to be where you would go to a Sixers Celtics game and you could get seats 15 rows off the court for 15 bucks to watch um, Kelly Olynyk challenge Henry Sims. That was a true story. I did that my freshman year of college. I thought, oh, $15 tickets. This is going to be awesome. And then 
The layups were sloppy during warmups. There was Michael Carter Williams airballing and getting booed by his own crowd. It was just, that's what it used to be. Then the Sixers have the first pick. The Celtics have, I'm sorry, the, the Sixers have the third pick. The Celtics have the first pick. And for some genius reason, we decide to trade up to select Markel Fultz. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Celtics played us. I, somebody, I think Beef, the guy I had on for the interview last weekend, put it best. They played us like a fiddle. They get their third pick. They're not picking Markel Fultz first overall. They know they can sit back, get Jason Tatum, who is the best player in the draft, and we hand them additional draft picks. So we have Markel Fultz, who is giving us more than a headache, and the Celtics are dominating us for the past year. And who seems to be the one that is constantly stabbing us in the heart with the sword, Justin? Tatum. Jason Tatum. Tater Top. Jason Tatum. You know, it, that, yeah, that one hurts, especially now that you, you know, he's gone. And, and we're all glad he's gone, but oh my. Um, yeah, imagine Jason Tatum on this team right now. You know, because oh it really God. didn't. Don't say that. You it really hurts, didn't. It hurts to um, think about. N- nothing else. You, you sent Markell away for nothing. So, I mean, it, it, if you just switch those two things, you still probably end up with, you know, J- is J- Jason, is Tobias Harris your fifth guy? You know what I mean? Like, wait, didn't Justin, what, didn't Justin Simmons have a huge game the other night? Oh, wait, he didn't touch the floor. Oh, God. Um, See, that, that guy's a piece of garbage. We, we should have just... Uh, yes. There was nothing you could... Nobody... There was no value in Fultz, which is so no. frustrating. Yeah. When it, your it, former number one overall pick doesn't even generate enough buzz for a solid role player. I, I don't think he's a, he's going to be a player in the league. And I, I think so. The Magic Orlando has him. And honestly, dude, I think he is a bust. He is a bust. Who's the guy that went before Michael Jordan? Who's who's the guy that with uh, Sam Bowie? Yeah, he's Sam. He's Sam Bowie. Whatever Bowie Bowie. Who cares? The guy sucked. He's he's Sam Bowie. Like I literally I literally think that he will not play in this league. I think that he will be. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It was it was because uh, Olajuwon went first over first overall, I think, and then they picked Bowie, and then the Bulls got Jordan. So. Yeah, uh, who? And then he's gonna be. Who's the guy that got hurt bowling? Why do I always never forget this? Oh name? my God, Bynum. He's, an, he's worse he's, than Bynum. He's man. Andrew Bynum. He's Andrew Bynum. He's worse than Bynum. So, because we at least with Bynum, there was hope that he had shown he's a great player, and you know he was supposed to be this awesome acquisition. Where I, I touched on this, and it's gonna be tough every time I talk about Markel Fultz to not touch on it, dude. Played one year at Washington on a team that didn't even generate 10 wins. Couldn't make it into the NCAA tournament. And there was nothing screaming, this guy's a superstar, aside from what looked like a good three-point shot and a few point, uh, few games over 20 points. Aside from that, compare that to Jason Tatum, who played at Duke and dominated? Like, come on. Come on, it hurts. Get mad, but you know Get what? Mad. We're you know he's gone, and I, I feel I think we're better for it. We got rid of the problem. It sucks. We'll never get that that pick back, but uh, you know I think we're still in a good place. So moving forward, I like I like where the Sixers are. They'll, they you know they uh, they're in line. I mean they could very well have a fifty five win season. 
Um, that would be awesome. But again, it all matters. With, we're looking ahead to the playoffs. They already have a playoff spot clinched. So we are, we're looking to see, you know, that's what we're, everybody stay healthy. I'm looking to kind of shut Joel down, not shut him down, but I'm kind of looking to give him some little bit of rest towards the tail end of the regular season, get him ready for playoffs. Um, I would not, I would not uh, be looking at, you know, going to the Wells Fargo center to see all the stars playing all at once. No, Although no. they, they, what do you think about this game against the Nets? Um, same day as Philly's opening day. I feel like the Nets are a really dangerous team going into the playoffs. Yeah, they're a bug. Russell's, they're a bug of a Russell's team. playing very well. I, I didn't think he was going to be a good NBA player, but he is really playing well. Then they play us well. They really do. Um, so that we've kind of struggled with them this year. So, uh, do you, yeah. give him, do you give him your full attack or do you play that one safe? And then the the only other game that really matters is a April 4th against the Bucks. Again, an 8 o'clock game. Do you give your all against the Bucks? I think so. I think so. Um, I think it also depends what they're – I think they'll play Giannis. And I think if they if they do, and then we, we, we at least start our guys and, you know, see. I think it it's going to – it has to get to the point where uh, their spot won't change. So whenever they get to the point where their seed won't change, I think is when you'll start to see some of that. So, yeah, like I'm, you know, Sixers are six and a half out. How many games do they have left? They have what twelve, maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They have ten games left. They're six and a half out. I don't think they're gonna have any chance of making a run at that first spot, but. They're only three and a half back of the Raptors, so they definitely still have something to play for. We'll see what they do. Just closing out this Sixers-Celtics rivalry, my, my final thoughts on this. You look at a rivalry where Jimmy Butler and uh, Kyrie Irving are kind of like the two old heads, even though Kyrie's only like 26, but they're, they're kind of the older, more classic players. And then you have uh, Simmons and Bede, um, Tatum and Jalen Brown, who are the young guns for uh, both teams, and then sprinkle on Tobias Harris and Gordon Hayward. And you have a rivalry for, for years to come that is a genuine rivalry, and it's really good to see players who are taking pride in the name. This, again, sounds like an old man, but taking pride in the city and the name on the front of the jersey. And that that's not... To say that you shouldn't be proud of your name on the back of the jersey, I'm not one of those guys who are like, oh, you need to respect your organization. But the city, both these cities are so historically primed in sports and just classic matchups, classic teams. They they live for sports. That's what I got to in my article. So that, yeah, yeah no, I guess I'm, that's I'm, it. I'm, I'm I don't know. You. There's nothing else to say about that. Um, the only thing worth noting from that game, this is just to get it out of the way. So everybody who's going to say, oh, well, all these things happened. This this shouldn't count. It was a fluke. Uh, Gordon Hayward didn't play. Yes. Um, Aaron Baines left early. Yes. Horford still went off for 22. Yes. Uh, Kyrie went off early. But once again, we contained him at the end of the game. Rozier went off again. Um, I think against the Celtics, we'll talk about it in another episode. But big man issues are going to be a problem uh, if we meet up with them in the Eastern Conference Finals because Boban doesn't match up well against any of their big men. So when they play two bigs, uh, we're looking at Tobias Harris guarding Horford, and that was not going too hot. Boston seems to know how to cover J.J. He had 17 points but wasn't really – he was 4 from 11 from 3 and 4 from 17 from the floor. So that's uh, a con- an added concern. And then the bench didn't really do anything. Like I said, 
Boban didn't have much. TJ played about eight minutes, and Mike Scott, please, please, I, thanks for hitting threes early. Stop shooting threes in key moments of big games. Uh, that's not what we need from you. You're a minus 14. Please don't be such a liability. Yeah, and get, you got to get Ben and TJ off the court at the same time because that's uh, kind of a killer too. No, There's really nowhere to go with the ball, and there's no one that's really willing to kind of, uh, especially we got TJ, Ben, and Boban out there. It's really, really brutal. So, uh, Brett, I need Brett to do uh, make some some better adjustments there. But I agree with you what you said, man. It's 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 great to have the Celtics Sixers rivalry back. It's great for basketball. It's great for us, and uh, keeps it keeps us hungry. I think. And if they continue to improve, we have no choice but to continue to improve. So if for no other reason than that. Yep. And the saying that Brad Stevens is a superior coach to Brett Brown, um, it took a step back. You know, it seemed like. The real estate in Brown's head might have been more intimidating than the actual coaching strategy. So now that they got that out of the way, I look for a, a rivalry that's going to be a little more even and balanced throughout the years. It's not going to be pure domination, but they're, they're primed to meet up in the Eastern Conference Finals if the season were to end today. I know that's looking way forward, and somebody should probably smack me for looking that far ahead, but if it happens... I kind of want to see it happen. I, I don't. I think people are afraid of that matchup, but that is po- probably going to go seven games, and every game is going to be kind of like March Madness, where you just need a pee bottle because you can't leave to go to the bathroom. Yep, I 100% agree. So if that's if that's what shakes our way, so be it. Bring it on. There we go. That is Sixer talk. Stop the shot! He's there! He's there! Now we're talking Flyers. Justin, you are going to take away this discussion now because I am that lame Flyers fan that catches the game when he can. And as a Reddit streamer, it's one or the other, and I'm usually watching the Sixers. So let's hear about them Flyers, boy. Yeah, man, I just want to, you know, I I felt like we hadn't talked Flyers in a while, and it was a good time, I think, to kind of talk about what's been going on with them. And and I know that you and I had agreed we want to do a full flyer show. Uh, so coming up in the next couple of weeks, really, uh, really would like to get a full hour or so in on the flyers and um, hoping to have some guests on then. And yeah. Look out so. for a special guest on that episode. I will be facilitating some expert flyer knowledge between Justin and TBD special guest who you guys are going to love. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're a Flyers fan, uh, you kind of know what's been going on with the team right now. But if you haven't been paying attention all that much, or you just haven't been able to catch games, um, you've been missing quite a bit. And that's the Flyers have been going on this crazy run, and we know all about what's what's happened this year. They firing the GM, firing Dave Haxel, the head coach, and having Scott Gordon come up from the Phantoms and be the interim head coach. And uh, they do that. They're doing this thing again, or they at least started to. Now they just lost to the Islanders, uh, which will effectively end their their season, I believe. I haven't. I don't know what the points shakeup is or the the standings right now, but uh, that should do it. That should put the nail in the coffin for them. Unfortunately, um, they're five points back of Montreal in second place. So, and that's the team that they're chasing. So, unfortunately, uh, that's that's going to do it. Uh, but. Since January 14th, this they have been one of the best teams in the league. They 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 went on a 27 and 2 run, which is like un, I mean it's unheard of. I mean, they they had a 72.41 per points percentage. So, they were 
they were on a just an insane run and you're looking at this like they're going to do it again this insanely streaky team is going to do this second half run where they set up the first part of the year uh, out of the playoffs completely, and then they storm back. It's what they did last year to get in. I was going to say, uh, as, a, as a really layman's Flyer fan who, who watches in spurts, it feels like more often than not it's that kind of thing where they're out of it, and then they make this unbelievable push to get in as the 8th seed or the 7th seed, and then they go on this incredible run through the playoffs. It, it feels like it's just constantly history repeating itself with this team. Well, and I think we learned that... You know, I think, you know, the fan base, their ire was directed at Dave Haxtell. And I think um, he put them in a hole yet again. And we learned a lot of things. We learned a lot of things about Dave, uh, Dave Haxtell. We learned a lot of things about the culture that Ron Hextall had set for the team, which we'll talk about kind of in, in our overall Flyers pod. But it, you know, you start to you start to hear rumblings around the building that the players aren't happy and that there's this controlling, manipulative, um, you know, restrictive environment. And so you're sort of like wondering, well, or you're sort of left to kind of see like, yeah, I kind of guess that's why these guys have been so inconsistent over the last five years. Um, but I think this team that you saw in that 20 and seven run is more indicative. And what I've been saying for years is this team is so much more talented than than these results. And I think what we saw in that run is more, is more of what we can expect from this team moving forward. And that's the hope. Um, they're the playoffs are a pipe dream now, but they're, they've been so much more fun to watch. And, you know, they won the outdoor game against the, the, the Pittsburgh that Penguins. Awesome. That was incredible, that was incredible awesome. performance. That was awesome. They beat it the was Penguins an, again then, right? Yeah. And then they beat them again a week later. Um, that's always, that's always a positive, whether the season's going well or not, whenever you can beat the Penguins, it's just, it's just fun. <laughs> yeah. It's so what I have for the Flyers right now is, is I got to talk about the job that Scott Gordon has done um, before, with this team. I'm sorry, before you get into this, can I just ask you a question? Yeah, Generally, yeah. I don't know exactly how the point system works. They have two matchups against the Hurricanes still. Is there any sort of weighed points when you play a team that's that's higher ranked or something where Hurricanes are first in the wild card, so two wins against first in the wild card, couldn't that knock the Hurricanes down and push us up? No, all it does is really, um, you know, it's like having points in, in hand, but um, it doesn't, all it does is it gets you, it, it pre- so think. it's just going to tease us. It's just going to get us closer, but ultimately Montreal's going to win enough to keep us out, and Carolina has a yeah, big enough lead already. We're effectively too far out at this point. We would have to win out. So in order to, so I think we have eight games left after today. We have eighty points, I think. So you need to get to, you know, winning eight games to the end of the season would get you to ninety six. That might do it, but they're not going to win out. Um, they're not going to win eight games. They could. I mean, listen, who they could. They're not. They're not mathematically eliminated yet. Uh, eliminated yet. No, they won't be mathematically eliminated. I think for an, uh, another two or three law. I don't. I don't know exactly what it is, but they're not yet mathematically eliminated. So, but it's down to a percentage at this point where it's it's probably not feasible. So, so are we sitting here saying we need Montreal to lose every game they're playing as well? Montreal would have to have a cataclysmic collapse, which, hey, listen, it's Montreal, but I don't, I don't expect that. They're playing deep. They're playing pretty good hockey right now. They, they smacked us around pretty good the other night. 
So uh, I don't, I just don't see that happening. And to be quite honest, I don't think that this is a playoff team. I think as as good as they've played, they still have some issues that need to be you know, need to be addressed. And, and they have a really young goaltender. I think they could use another off season with the team and a, a camp with the team. Um, you know, I'll just I'll just go to Carter Hart. I'll go I'll I'll get back to Scott Gordon in a minute. But Carter Hart, man, this kid is legit. He's real. He is. Um, you know, for, for, for the first time in a long time, it's like the Flyers have good goaltending. He makes, you know, and there's something to be said about players playing in front of goalies where they're not, you know, I played and I remember what it was like, and I, I know what it's like playing with either a shaky goaltender or, you know, a guy who maybe he's just a weekender and, uh, you know, it's obviously very different things, but I, I know the feeling of feeling like you're gripping your stick too hard and you got to play the best possible defense you can because if you make any mistake, maybe it's going in the back of the net. For the first time in a while, I feel like these guys are are loosening up on their sticks a little bit. They feel like they can play their game a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive because they know they got a guy back there who can make some tough stops. You didn't have that before. As good as Brian Elliott has played in certain stretches, he'd always give up that goal um, where he needed a big stop. So Carter Hart, to come up here and do what he did at at age 19 or 20 or however, uh, he, he's, he's, he's younger than 21, I know that. So he, man, he's, and he he's looks 19 it. or 20. But man, he baby-faced assassin and everything. This kid, he's got a bright future. I want to see the Flyers still get a goalie behind him in case he falters, get a veteran behind him so that, you know, if he, if he experiences some difficulty, um, they'll have a veteran back there to kind of help him along. But he is your starting goalie for next year. The Flyers finally have a franchise goalie. And I think um, kind of right now it's, it's about the offseason. But before I get to that, I have to mention Sean Couturier as well because – Holy cow, you know, as for as much as we talk about Claude Giroux, who is the captain and and, and for a long time the best player and, and the elite uh, caliber player on this team, Sean Couturier now needs to be included in that conversation. He's a 72-point player this season, 31 goals, 41 assists, and he is a legitimate number one center in this league, and he is a top 20 player in the league. Uh, currently 19th in points. In a season where there are three guys over 100 points, and one guy who's in like the hundred and teens, like that's insane. Um, and he needs to start being, uh, he needs to, people need to start paying more attention to number 14 because he is now uh, finally ascending to that elite level. And it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to watch. I, I remember him being around way back when they were making the runs. Was, has he, was he here in 2010? That, 2012. Twenty twelve was his twenty twelve was was I think that was his yeah first or second season and you remember that season where he's this rookie getting uh you know getting de- defensive duty on Evgeny Malkin and playing him hard in that series in twenty twelve and you're like all right this guy we almost didn't get him too that's what's crazy he was a pro- he was the projected consensus top pick in that draft before he got mono and so he got mono and slid down to seven excuse me, on our boards and we, we took him. Um, and for a while, you know, he was, you're kind of just thinking, all right, he's going to be a real strong two way center. Um, you're not sure if he's going to have the offensive, uh, scoring, but, and over the next couple of years, he starts to get some of that, uh, Selkie nomination love, which at the Selkie trophy is the best, um, defensive or two way forward in the league. However you want to look at that. Um, 
And now you look at him and he's a legitimate, bona fide, number one scoring center in the league. And it is exciting um, because you stick him on a line with Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux moving over to left wing, which is, I think saved his career because center was putting, uh, I think, too much of uh, too much pressure on him. And teams could, as we saw last year in the playoffs, teams could just kind of rub out our first line and wouldn't really have to worry about secondary scoring depth. Now you can't do that with the Flyers because we are three lines deep. So it's exciting to, to, to see the ascension that Sean Couturier has made. And, um, you know, he's only, I don't have it in front of 26. me how old he is. He's 26. He's 26 so he's, he's in the not, club he, of 26. We got Harper, so, yep. uh, Carson, Couturier. Um, so he, so he's, in his, he's in his prime. He's in his prime, and that's exciting to see. And, and I think the other thing that I think is really exciting about this winter that we or the, this you know after January to now is this young core of defensemen that has emerged and uh, I wrote about this in my last Flyers piece. The knock on Ron Hextall for all those years is we want to see the kids, we want to see the kids, bring us the kids, and he just wouldn't do it. He you know he he preferred to you know bring these wasted veterans, these, these Andy McDonald's, these guys that just had no future on this team, instead of bringing up kids who a lot of us knew could play, but he was just so protective of these kids like Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim. And then, you know, when they do get up here, Dave Haxall sits them in a press box over guys like Brandon Manning. And, and then lo and behold, Hey, we fire the coach and then Travis Sanheim plays and he's, Oh, you're saying he's a, legit top pairing defenseman and might actually be the best defenseman on your team. That's shocking. How about that? So, and, and so Sanheim legitimate number one defenseman on the team could be, a, could be a top guy on, you know, 26 other pairs uh, in the league. And then you have Phil Myers who comes up the twin towers. These kids, these guys are legit. They're now the flyers have a foursome, a top foursome that they haven't had since you know, the, those runs in the 2010 to 2013 when you had like Tiemann and Pronger, uh, Braden Coburn and Matt Carl. Now you have Phil Meyer, Shane Gossespierre, Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov. And that is a foursome that, uh, again, 25 other teams in the league will take. All you got to do is add one or two of those, one or two more, see what Sam Moran is. And you've got your defense for the future. You've got your defense for the future. You've got your goalie for the future you're not sure about coach you've got to figure out the coach and you've got to go out and spend some money this summer and again i'll hit all that when we do the flyers podcast but you got 30 million dollars and a crap ton of free agents out there you need to go spend the money go get artemi panarin go get um jeff skinner go get a, a veteran defenseman a good veteran defenseman not just some guy off the trash heap and this Flyers team should contend next year. They should be a playoff team. So there's a lot of things. Of, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you want to read that article, it's on section215.com and very clear what we're reading about. The title's called Promising Young Defense Finally Taking Shape. Go check it out. I'm going to check that out. I did not get a chance to read it yet, Justin, so I apologize, but you always keep the good content going for the Flyers on 215. Yeah, man, it's just, it's just exciting to see the youth start to step up on this team, which is what what I think um, 
we've been waiting for fans like you know the diehards like me have been waiting for you know you you now this team is starting the youth the young guys are starting to take over Oscar Lindbaum uh Sean Couturier Travis Sanheim Travis Konechny um you know did I say Oscar Lindbaum already but, yeah uh, you know Carter Hart uh Phil Myers the, the youth is here the youth is here. So there's a couple other young guys that, that we want to see. Um, Morgan Frost, Isaac Ratcliffe, they might not be ready just yet. But that's what kind of needs to happen. The, the, it's sort of like what we were saying with the Sixers. The build is over. We're done getting draft picks. We don't want any more draft picks. We, we have enough in the system right now. Now is the window is opening. Now is, the now is when you go out and spend that money that so many other teams don't want to do because they don't. they're either not in the position we are or – they don't want to overspend. Now it's okay to overspend on a guy. It because if that's a guy that can help you, if Artemi Panarin, if you need to pay him twelve million dollars a year, I don't want to do that. But if you want, to, if you need to pay him ten, ten, eleven million dollars a year to have him come be your sniper on the first line, you do it because and you sign him for six years, whatever he wants, um, because you the, the window is opening now and the youth is here. So and it's. It's exciting. You should be excited if you're a Flyers fan. It's not the way that this, you wanted the season to end. Obviously, um, you wanted you want it to end in a playoff. You want to go to playoffs. You want to see your. You, I like playoff hockey, so I want to see my team there. But now they can focus on the off season. I still think they're in really good shape with guys like Claude Giroux. He he, like I said, he's still um, playing at an elite level. Jake Voracek, uh, Simmons obviously was traded. That was that one hurt. Um, yeah, I wanted you to get your take on that actually, because um, last episode when when I interviewed Beef, he's a pretty big hockey fan, and he was saying that that was kind of a it felt like an fu to the fans. It felt like giving up on the season, and it, it impacted him to stop watching the games as closely. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, I think uh, I kind of understand where he's coming from there, but I, I you know, when you're the GM. Um, you have to look at your team situation and you have to see, you have to try to get some value and the flyers got a pick out of it. I think they got a fourth round pick. I have to go back and look or a third or fourth round pick. And they got Ryan Hartman in, in, in return, which, you know, I, I don't know if Ryan Hartman will be here in the long run. And it was also a salary, a little bit of a salary dump too, because you're not going to pay Wayne Simmons. So I think, you know, the sentimental the sentimental thing is to say, hey, let Wayne Simmons figure, um, let him finish out his career here, let him finish with the guys, and then go off and get paid over the summertime, which he still he still may. I don't I don't know if Nashville will resign him. He'll become a, an unrestricted free agent this summer. Um, but it's tough when you're in that position because if you have a chance to get something for a player rather than let him walk for free, it's a tough decision. It really really is because you have a guy who bled for you for seven years and six or seven years. And that's always a tough call for a GM. I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't envy a GM in that position. Me personally, I, I was okay with it because, you know, I still think Simmer's going to go off and get paid. I'm happy. And I thank him for everything that he did here. He's, he was the ultimate flyer. He was the ultimate flyer. He did everything you asked of him and never complained. He was an iron man. Um, you know, I wasn't hurt particularly hurt by it because I understand at the end of the day it's a business. So, um, the, the the job of the GM is to improve the team in any way that he can, not to always appeal to the fan base. Unfortunately, so it's kind of where I am with that. Yes, sir. I'm just getting your take on that one, but 
really looking forward to that full uh, that full episode. They're talking about the flyers gonna gonna catch up on my flyer knowledge. Um, basically, what I know here, I'll, I'll let you know where I am as a Flyers fan. I knew they had a lot of promising young talent, some names who I'd heard from living in the Lehigh Valley and and hearing about the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And then it kind of felt like those young players weren't doing what we thought they were going to do. And as you touched on it, it could have been a lack of goaltending and the coaching as well. There was a whole bunch going around about it, but the season was not compelling enough to catch my attention over the Sixers. Like I said, Um, but Learning some, st- I'm, I'm I'm looking to learn a lot in this Flyers episode from you to catch me up on what I've missed out in the past um, few years. Because I I was a to to take it back even farther. I'm gonna go into the history of Pete Long and let you know something, Justin, that you might not know is originally I was a three for four guy. I watched the Flyers whenever they'd make the playoffs or whatever, but grew up. Philly season ticket holder, Eagle season ticket holder, loved the Sixers. Then my dad took me to a Flyers game one time. I want to say it was like seventh or eighth grade, and we had some pretty darn good seats, and it was against the Islanders when they weren't that good, but just watching the game live changed my perspective about hockey forever, and seeing how fast they really move. You don't get the full impact of the game until you sit in a seat and watch a live performance I think that was back in Danny Briere's day. So that that made me a flyer nut. Then I was watching regular season games on the regular. And such is life that you don't always have time to sit back and watch games. So I lost touch a little bit with the Flyers. Um, Same thing can be with the Sixers and Phillies. And even the Eagles are the only team that it's easy to keep up with because they play once a week for 16 weeks. When you have a team that's playing... The Phillies are going to be tough, man. You know, every night when you are working a job that requires you to work either late nights or it requires you to travel on weekends, whatever it may be, it's it's a struggle for fans to keep up with their team. That's why we're here. That's why we bounce off of each other. But we have episodes like this flyer episode that's coming up. If you want to see what's been going on with the team, if you're a Flyers fan like me who wants to catch up and get ready for an exciting time in Flyer Nation, Tune in next week uh, for that full Flyers recap. Justin, any last words on the Flyers? No, it's funny. I, I just agree with you what you, what you said about um, going to the game. The, hockey's the one sport I actually prefer to watch live at the arena. Um, I see the game develop um, you know, a lot quicker when I'm there live uh, versus you know, listening to the commentary and kind of watching on TV. I see things like happen before – uh, you know, as they, as they develop. So, um, and that's just because I've been watching hockey for so long, but especially when I watch it live, I feel like I always, um, can follow it at better ironically. So, um, and it's a cool thing. Cause like the, the sound of the puck hitting the sticks reverberates throughout this, the, the, the stadium and, or yeah, right. The pipe or, or just the guys hitting each other, um, or into the boards. It's like the sounds are awesome. So yeah, it's, so what, what I've just decided is that you and I are going to a game next year. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. We'll have to pick that out. We'll have to, uh, and do a little like live broadcast or something from, uh, from that game, but we'll go and we'll, we'll get good seats and we'll, we'll check it out. Go all balls to the walls for flying high at the Flyers, flying high Flyers night, whatever you want to call it. The thing that sticks in my mind is just, you know, that the shots are coming in fast, but when you're there and you like, you can't even follow how fast it comes off the stick. 
into the uh, goaltender's glove and somehow he reacts and stops that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, did, it's insane. Did you play hockey? I played after college. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I was, a uh, an aquatic athlete in college, uh, but, uh, so <laughs> somewhat I, of I a dolphin. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't have a, uh, you know, I didn't have a, a hockey pedigree until after college when, when I got together with friends and we, you know, we, a bunch of guys who had always wanted to play, never really got a chance to. And, you know, we got our, our team together, uh, in an adult league and, um, you know, we played together. So, uh, and I played for five years and, you know, I loved it. Took my, took my love for the game and, you know, grabbed my skates and said, let's do it. So that's a, that's a story for anybody who thinks it's too late for them to kickstart their hockey career. All you have to do is join the local adult league. The only thing I could compare it to, and um, did you play goaltender? I, nope, I, I played defense. Did. Okay. So the way I look at the goaltender's position is like a line drive back to the pitcher. I don't know if you did you play baseball. I'm now just yeah, asking Justin questions. I played, I, I played catcher when I was uh, in little in little league. So yeah. Okay. Well, I, I pitched up until my first semester at college, and the one thing that always kind of blew my mind, or just really, uh, it's it's so difficult to describe what it's like when a ball is lined back towards your face, or even if it's grounded back, like right back at the pitcher. It feels like it's going in slow motion. That's the only way I can describe it. Like when you watch a line drive back to a pitcher, you think, how on earth did he get that? But when it happens, it's like pitch comes out, ball hits the bat, and it it feels like as you're moving your glove up over your face, you can see the individual stitches of the ball spinning. But it feels like a good three to five seconds where you stick your hand out, and it's it's not sheer luck. It's It's reaction to cover your face, but... Like I said, it's so difficult to describe. Yeah, no, I know I, that that's not something I would want to see. So, and again, I, I'm a guy like the kind of the kind of defense I like to play in hockey is like I like to block shots and I like to get in the way of the shooter. So I took a number of pucks off the side of the foot and the toe, and you know the the you think those shin pads are thick, but um, that rubber is coming at you hard. So, and it, and it, it will, you will block it off the shin pad, but let me tell you something, you still will feel it. So I was kind of an, uh, a nut job with that. I, I kind of did had like no <laughs> regard for my own personal safety. So, but that's just kind of how I played, but yeah, I can, so I can kind of understand. You were the true gritty individual that formulated our new mascot. I think I saw it. Did he win best mascot in the he NHL by a landslide? The, it was about the only thing we were nominated for. So, yeah. yeah. We'll touch on that later, but it's so funny how that started out as every everybody outside of Philly was like, this is a hideous creature. And then he literally took over America. And uh, so uh, we'll get into that later, but yeah. And what's, what's even more funny is I honestly think the flyers did it on purpose. <laughs> so no, I, that I, makes it I, even funnier. Dude, I remember when it happened, I wanted so badly to write a uh, article for section two, one five about how much of a genius move this was by the flyers marketing team. I just never had the time to do enough research to provide the right facts. But I mean, it's not like somebody was just sitting in there and was like, Oh, let's just do this. He's essentially the Flyers version of the Philly Fanatic, and for years to come, it's another embodiment of Philadelphia through the mascot. That it is. That it is. And with that, Flyer Talk has come to an end for today. Time sure. So now we're closing out the episode. Uh, we Our two big things we we're going to touch today was Sixers and Flyers, and we hit both of those. And before I go into our last two topics... 
anybody out there that listens or has friends who are Phillies fans, whatever it, I'm sorry, Philly fans, whatever it may be, this is the fan perspective. We're flying high, the Philly fans perspective. We want to hear your voice. We constantly want to hear your opinions on what's going on in the city. Um, we've played sports, so we know enough about it to give our opinion. But we want to hear your opinion, and we're trying to formulate an interesting concept on the podcast where we just bring fans on and let them tell their perspective furthermore than just using the hashtag fan perspective on social media uh, we want you on the podcast we want to hear your voice um, so if you have an idea when you're feeling it uh, we need about probably I'd say what a week or so in advance to really uh, get ready so it can't be like Sixers lost last night. I want to be on the podcast tomorrow to talk about how incredibly upset I am. But if you have a really strong opinion on something within the city sports uh, spectrum, hit us up and we'll get you on, whether it be a full episode or a 10-minute segment of an episode. We'll go through it. We'll have different uh different ways of doing this. But we want this to be the true Philly fans' perspective. We want to hear your voice. Hit us up. And moving forward, we got Eagles. You can't go through a flying high podcast without mentioning the Eagles, um, even though it's the offseason. So you have a move that was kind of sneaky, I guess, by signing Andrew Sandejo. Um, I talked about it with Beef a little bit, but he, he is going to provide a solid third safety. And if McLeod can't be back in time for uh, the opening of the season, then he'll be that second safety. When he was with Minnesota, we were definitely all willing to say he was the worst safety ever. He was incredibly overrated, and we picked him apart. But now that he's with us, he's a solid player. <laughs> like Saying it now, that's such a hypocritical view, but he really is a solid player. He's better. He, he's definitely, I, I shouldn't use the term definitely. He provides a possible better option than Corey Graham at safety right now as our, our backup safety, but... Getting him in there provides depth in that secondary, which will have... I, I really don't know where they're going with the secondary right now. It's, uh, it's a, There's so many... There was a problem early in the season last year, and now it's like, we have too many people in the secondary. Who are we going to go with? What's going to happen to Sidney Jones? We bring back Darby. Mills is coming back, and we still have guys like LeBlanc who came through clutch and could be solid players. Maddox, you know, there's so many players in that secondary where decisions are going to have to be made. Yeah, it's nice to have options, but that's something that I'll be looking at the closer that we get to to, to camp and everything to see who, you know, what are the cuts and uh, who do we keep. It's it. Hey, listen, we we know we have a bunch of guys who show that they can play. So, um, you know, adding some Deho to that definitely um, makes me feel a little bit better about the safety depth. Um, he'll be fine. You know, he'll be in fine in spot play, uh, as long as he can stay healthy. Uh, I think they're, you know, yeah, the real question is like corner and what we do, uh, with that. So that's something I'll be watching and pay attention to. And then of course we brought back the hometown boy. Vinny Curry <laughs> is back with the Eagles. I read a report somewhere that, uh, giants offered him more money, but he went to Philly to be in Philly, which I absolutely love to hear. Um, he's kind of a Timmy Jernigan replacement guy I guess you could say he's where we let go of Jernigan we're willing to bring Curry back to the city back to the rotation and another little bit of buzz I'm hearing on Twitter is that this might mean the end of Chris Long in Philly um, 
So far, it's been like you lose a guy, you get a guy, you lose a guy, you get a guy. With Bennett goes out, you get Malik Jackson, and then Brandon Graham signs. Then you lose Jernigan. Now you bring in Curry. So you have to wonder what's up with Chris Long. I also saw a tweet that he put out because something went down. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was either he... I don't remember exactly what it was, but it sounded like he was coming back and somebody tweeted, hey, back in Philly, and he was like... No, that doesn't mean at all that I'm coming back to Philly. I don't know if you saw that, but it was something where he... I didn't see that. No, I was actually thinking the other day, I really hope Chris Long comes back because I hadn't heard anything. So that's interesting. I'd hate to lose him. Yeah, I mean, it was it's nice getting Curry back because I just have a feeling like this line is going to be not as good as it was last year because I don't know what Malik Jackson is going to bring there's a reason why he got benched last year. I don't know if that's just because they hadn't needed a reason to cut him for salary reasons, but um, if he pans out, they, they, has, they have a shot. I mean, bring, bring a guy who's familiar with the system back, that definitely can't hurt. And it's only a one-year deal, so it's not, it's not anything they can't get out from under if it doesn't work out. Uh, yeah, if they lose Chris Long... Uh, I won't be thrilled with that because I, I still would like to get one more year out of him. Um, he's a guy I really, really like. Uh, I think he could give us one more year, so we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I really hope that happens. And real quick, uh, shout out to Haloti Nada, who liked my tweet. That was pretty cool. I tweeted something out about uh, he, he retired on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, that's how he announced his retirement, which is um, pretty much boss as it gets. It's like, you want to see how I'm going to retire? I'm going to climb the largest mountain in the world and announce it. So, mm, Wow, I, how about that? I said something like uh, there's baller, something like there's baller moves, and then there's retiring on top of Mount Kilimanjaro, and got the old like from Haloti. So, would love to get him on the podcast. Don't think that's going to happen. Don't know how I can get in contact with him, but if you want to come now, on, so. if you want to come on, like we can be hashtag pros perspective for a day, and hey, let's that, go. That'd be pretty sweet. But Vinny Curry's back. Got Sandejo. That's Eagle Talk for today. And then we're going to close it out with baseball. I, man, I can't describe the feeling when I'm watching March Madness on four different screens. It's, it's the heat of March. You know, March Madness takes over for these first two days. And now it's the third day. It's slowed down a little bit. But it takes over. And still somehow Bryce Harper is atop my Twitter feed. And I see that glorious swing his first home run in Philly. And I'll just use the reference of goosebumps for now as to what he did to me, but Oh, what it was sight. awesome. I, yeah, what it was sight. awesome. And, uh, you were just, Hey, you're just hoping for a hit, right. Uh, you know, out of him for the first, and then he, and then he had, he knocked two dingers the other day and it was just like, uh, JT's and JT's been hitting some dingers and Oduble yeah. hit one yesterday. So, uh, Kutch hit one. Know, yeah. Kutch hit one. And Hey, I wanted to point out that, Cutch will start in the leadoff spot. So, uh, you know, do you heard it here first from the, the Philly fans perspective? You just remember that everyone. Uh, so that's, uh, that was nice to see. And he hit, he hit a couple too. So everybody's hitting right now. It's really, it's nice. So uh, the only, um, I think the only questions we have again are, again are about pitching. Cause I think Vince had a, had a rough one the other day. So they kind of, kind of, uh, waiting to see there with baseball, but, um, yeah, very, very excited for this week. Extremely excited. Yes, we had it first. And <clears throat> closing out, 
this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective, we have a new segment. <laughs> Woo! This All is right, fave. let's do it. This is our fave five. We're going to list something. It's going to vary on each episode, and there is it's absolutely random. We have absolutely no idea what it's going to be, but it is our fave five with ringing in opening day of baseball. Oh, it's a good feeling, Justin. It's a good feeling. I, I'm doing some work for the Greensboro Grasshoppers, and just walking into that baseball stadium was like, woo, here oh, we yeah. go. So yeah. in honor of – what were you saying? I'm sorry. You oh, no, I was, I'm just agreeing with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so here we go. In honor of the opening of baseball, we have our fave five baseball movies, and it's going to get interesting. It's going to get very interesting because – as I was thinking back and, you know, looking at names of baseball movies, I saw a lot of classics that so many people talk about that I have not ever seen and that I should be shamed for having never seen. And then there were movies that, like, I remember watching, but I didn't remember enough to put on the list. So there's yeah. movies like, I want to say Mr. 3000 with Bernie Mac. I, it was a movie that I remember was really good, but I don't remember it enough to include it on a list. I've mm-hmm. seen uh, Angels in the Outfield. Didn't know that one well enough um, to put it on my list. So I guess I should we do this one through five each individually or go count? Yeah, let's, count it let's, down. let's start off with number five for each of All us. Right. Right? Number five, Justin, you go first. Number five for me is the movie 61 with uh, Barry Pepper and uh, Thomas Jane. They play Mickey Mantle and um, why am I forgetting his name now? Um, uh, are you really is this really going to do this? Who's the guy that, who had the record before um, before McGuire broke it? Um, I really need to know this. Now I have to look it up because sometimes I sometimes I do this when I have a little brain fart. Hey, we have brain farts, man. Um, but anyway, yeah, really great movie about the the Yankees back um, and Mickey Mantle and, and like the original uh, home run chase, right? Roger Maris. I don't know why I couldn't remember that, but Roger okay. Maris and Mickey Mantle and their original home run chase. Um, and it's just an awesome movie made by um, Billy Crystal, who's a long, lifelong Yankees fan, and just just a great just a great baseball movie. Uh, yeah, so I am going to open up at number five with a classic. It is The Sandlot, and I remember watching this one as a kid, and it's just it embodies old school baseball. It has that classic feel. When I watch it in you know two thousand or two thousand one, I forget where it's set, but it's in. It's in the old days when kids would go out into the sandlot and play baseball. Um, just remember the sound of the narrator. And it's one of those movies where I have to go back and watch it again to remember everything that's going down. But something that always sticks out in my mind is when the one kid uh, fakes that he's drowning so that he can get a kiss from the lifeguard. And if that ain't being a little teenager who is ballsy as heck, I don't know what is. So that's that's just a moment that I'll never forget in that movie. Love it. Love it. Uh, we're All moving right. on to no, number four. Before we go on, Justin, are you a movie buff, man? Because the way you described that last movie, you got everything down. You got the director, you know, the background behind it. Are you a movie buff here? I am what is called a cinephile. So, yes, <laughs> that's what you have to deal with with me. Yes. Oh, man, you're going to so, be showing me up. My number four is Rookie of the Year. 
Um, and uh, I saw this movie back, you know, in like 94 or whatever, when it was, it came out and in the theater. And it was like the first baseball movie, one of the, one of the first baseball movies. Uh, there's another one that's higher up on my list, but just an awesome movie about uh, totally realistic about a, uh, you know, a 10 year old kid that can pitch in the majors and after a freak accident of his arm. So, uh, you know, it's one of those feel good things and it has a great ending. And, uh, you know, I, it's still, whenever it's on it, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw it on the TV. So. One of my faves. I'm going to have to catch up on these because, once again, another one that I saw on that list that I had never even heard of. So, got to go see it. My number four is a movie that, uh, for some reason, it, it, I just remember on multiple occasions, <laughs> it was on, I stumble upon TNT and this movie's on. And it every time I see it, it catches my attention. It's Hardball. It's got uh, Keanu Reeves in it. And oh, yeah. it's about, yeah. it's, it's, that guy, I guess he's a ticket scalper and gambler, but he goes and coaches a team in the hood of Chicago, if I'm not incorrect. I, I don't know exactly right, where yeah. it is, but um, he, he does that. And again, w- with movies, there's always like one moment that really sticks in my brain. And I remember when the little kid gets killed in a drive-by shooting. I think his name was G. Uh, that's just... Uh, it's a, if you haven't seen, I just, spoiler alert, I guess it's too late to say that, but uh, he's like the younger brother of one of the players who's always around, but he's too young to play. And then he gets killed in the drive-by shooting where they live in their, they live in the projects. So it's, it's a moving film. It is, uh, it's definitely not a light movie. There's a lot of really hard topics touched and uh, not always a fan of Keanu Reeves, but in this particular movie, he comes through clutch and it's always a must watch for me. Hardball. Very nice. Did you ever see that one? I did. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, a decent, I've seen it like once or twice and it's not, <laughs> it's, no, 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 it's not, it's not, <laughs> it just doesn't make my list. That's all. all right. It's all right. I know for, my number three um, is a league of their own. And uh, this is, uh, I just love this film. It's, it, uh, Tom Hanks, one of his best performances as the drunkenly tobacco spewing, uh, you know, manager of a female baseball team during wartime. And, um, you know, you get that classic line, like there's no crying in baseball. And, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, he signs a kid comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, the kid asks him for a, for an autograph, and he writes on the on the baseball, uh, "Avoid the clap, uh, Jimmy Dugan." And they walk away. You walk. He's like, "That's good advice," you know. So it's uh, you know, classic performance by Tom Hanks. Overall, great movie. Um, you know, I'll watch it anytime. So that's number three. Another one that I've never seen, but Tom Hanks is one of the best in the business, no doubt about it. So. Gonna have to check that one out. Uh, my number three, you are not gonna take seriously. Nobody's gonna take it seriously. And whether it classifies as a baseball movie or not, I'm not certain. But the bench warmers, man, with uh, the guy from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, you got Rob John Schneider. Heater, yeah. John Heater, you got John Schne- uh, Rob Schneider and David Spade. When that first came out, I was uh, probably 10 or 12, I want to say 12 years old, and I watched it at least 10 times, just repeat, repeat, repeat. It's one of those silly movies, but it has a storyline to it, a lot of laughs, ridiculous characters. you got a guy who's afraid of the sun, um, pees in a Pepsi bottle or whatever, and then brings a sword out to try. There's just so much going on in that movie, and... It's a, it's a comedy with exaggeration, but it's really funny how like 
the one team has a pitcher who says he's 12 years old and he's pulling out like a flask on the mound and he's this big Dominican guy and they ask for his birth certificate and it's like a piece of paper with I am 12 written on it in crayon <laughs> and like 50 bucks handed inside of it. And, you know, that's, it's, that's it's a just a funny one. Yeah. I've it, seen that it's, one. I, it, it's classic guys that were on uh, Saturday Night Live and part of that Adam Sandler comedy crew who went off and, you know, for me, there's not a lot of Rob Schneider solo movies. It's usually Rob Schneider's hanging out with Adam Sandler, but that was one of the ones that just hit right at home. So maybe three is too high of a ranking for it, but I go bench warmers. Nice. All right, number three, uh, two, excuse me. Number two for me is, you've already said it, but it's The Sandlot. This one's high up on my list. Um, it just It's the movie that reminds me of summer. I always want to watch it when spring and summer rolls around. It gets me ready for baseball. It's just the classic feel-good kid tale, um, you know, about, about a kid who learns the meaning of, you know, what baseball is all about and, uh, the, and also friendship in the process. So just an, it's an incredible movie. It's timeless. It'll never go away and, you know, I, I love it. I love everything that it stands for and all the amazing scenes and them trying to get the ball back. And, uh, you know, the, 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 he puts on the PF flyers at the end and chases, you know, chases down the beast and pickles the beast. And so, uh, that one for me is it almost made number one, but, uh, it's, it's sitting solidly at number two. You know, in, in you running back through that, I'm, I'm now like getting flashbacks of what happened in that movie. And that definitely could be higher on my list just because, I remember the first time I watched it, I went Sandlot, Sandlot 2 back to back, and I don't remember Sandlot 2 at all, but I think they were both pretty... Uh, did, did you like Sandlot 2? No, I never, I've never even seen it. I've never I, seen it. I don't okay. want to dishonor the, 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 the memory of, of a Sandlot, so... Yeah, and James Earl Jones is always a great, uh, great character to have voicing in a movie. My number two, once again, is going to be one where uh, I'm going to catch some flat. watched as a kid i guess it could be referred to as a chick flick but it was called fever pitch and it was about the red Sox. it had it was my first introduction to jimmy fallon you got drew barrymore in there and while it might have been a chick flick it just it was a, a movie that really resonated with me in jimmy fallon's character he is a baseball nut who begins dating this this uh, official businesswoman who doesn't get sports at all but he's a season ticket holder and his entire apartment is all red Sox and it's it reminded me of going to games at, at uh, the vet and then early on at Citizens Bank Park as a kid where you're a season ticket holder you know the people around you and th there's the regulars and you have these stories that it's more than just the game that's going on it's more than just the team it's the entire baseball atmosphere and I don't know it was a movie that really resonated with me but only got like three stars on IMDB so no, that's a good one that's a good apparently one. I don't know my movies all right. Well, here we are. Number one. And this one is one for me that is in not only my top five baseball movies, but it's in my top 10 movies of all time. Coming um, from a cinema expert officially yes. in Hollywood, uh, an official. Cinema <laughs> expert. So my number one is uh, the original Major League. Okay. And um, it is to me, it is one of the funniest. It's the Caddyshack of baseball for me. It is one of the funniest movies uh, I think has ever been made. And it just 
it's 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 just a, an amazing movie with this ragtag group of guys that you know the owner's trying to get to lose so she can relocate and you know wild thing vaughn you know just a bit outside that timeless that timeless uh phrase there and just you know uh you know him throwing the pitch and and you know blowing away the head of that metal uh the metal thing uh that you know that or whatever you call that like the Pitcher. You're gonna you're, you're oh. gonna hate to know that I I have never seen that movie. Oh, oh man! All right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have, have to set up but, cinema night. Um, <laughs> but now, Major League for me, incredible movie. Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger. I, I own the Blu-ray. I watch it like once a week. So, um, that's my top five. And you finish. Uh, so, bring us in with your number one. So that's uh, that's one of those movies that I know I need to watch. I've seen like two two minutes of it on uh, television one time, but you're gonna really hate me for saying this. This is before I get to my number one movie. When you say it's the Caddyshack of baseball movies, I didn't like Caddyshack. Oh boy! Oh maybe boy. I watched it when I was younger, so maybe I didn't get all the jokes. But when I watched it, it was like. All right, you got to go back and watch it because now is it's 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 so much different watching it as an adult. You don't get it when you're younger. Go back and watch that movie. I will mail you a copy. Especially since I work and have worked for the past five years in the golf industry, I feel like more than ever those jokes are going to apply to me. So I guess I have to watch it, and then I yourself I have to watch Caddyshack and then Major League, so I can officially say um, this movie is the Caddyshack of baseball. There you go. My number one baseball movie comes uh, in one of the first movies that I can remember watching in theaters with my family. Um, 2002, it came out, and it is The Rookie uh, with Dennis Quaid. Uh, it's about Jim Morris, who is the uh, Rays pitcher who was kind of old, I guess. I, I don't remember the whole storyline, but it was just uh, he threw mad fast and as with all other movies, I remember when he went up to uh, the speed limit thing. Uh, that sh- It's the radar, but it was measuring car speeds. And I can't remember if it didn't register or if it said like 45, and then he turns away and it flips to like 95. It's something like that, one of those moments. But just a really uh, emotional, not emotional, but just a, another one that's not really funny, but it's, it's a happy movie. It has a good ending. It's got that kid from two and a half men before he becomes a big D bag. And uh, just when I think baseball movie, that's the first thing that pops into my head. Awesome, man. Love it. I love it. I respect, I respect the list. So that's our fave five. Um, I've learned now that I have to become more of a, I've, I've heard so many people tell me that I need to become more of a movie buff. I have an issue where I don't like to commit an hour plus of my life doing something. If I, it's not going to guarantee to make me happy. Uh, I'll never forget when I went to see 10,000 BC and it was the first movie that I realized that, um, actually I think it was Beowulf was the first one when I was like, Oh, I didn't realize you could pay to watch a bad movie. I thought they were all good. (laughs) I thought you were guaranteed a good movie if you pay to go see it. So with Netflix and stuff, I find myself just rewatching the same TV series over and over again because it's 30, 30 minutes, the office, do it, do it, do it. Got to get more into movies. Um, especially since I like to make, uh, videos and films and stuff like that. But Fave five. It's going to be different every week. Uh, this week, it was baseball movies let us know yours using hashtag fave five if you hadn't guessed yet we use ph instead of f in all of our episodes so ph i've ph 
fave. Go out there, let us know your hashtag fan perspective. That's all we got right now. Uh, Justin, any, any parting words? I know I have, um, we got some special guests lined up for the flyers episode. I have a special guest in the works for a Sixers episode coming up as well. And then we'll be talking opening day baseball next Thursday and a big Sixers game against the Nets tomorrow night. You have, I'm sorry, tomorrow afternoon, you have the flyers caps. If you, uh, want to have one last bit of hope that they could make a playoff push. That's where it starts. And tonight you have Villanova parting thoughts, Justin. No, um, I'm the, I think you said it all. Let's go Nova. And uh, just real quick side point. If, if you don't vote for, or if you don't root for root for Villanova because you think they're not a city team, you're silly. So that's all I have to say for that. Vote for root for Villanova. They're part of the city. Stop being will, silly. <laughs> I will root for them now. Um, my time at Temple, I, I still you have an like, excuse though. Like I don't like them when I'm like Temple should be the city team, man. We are actually in the city. Those rich Villanova kids out in the main line. They, oh, I, I boy, was, I was comes. at, I was at Villanova for the championship, the first one against North Carolina, and it was awesome. I had fun. The kids were cool, but they don't know what it's like to be Temple tough. Okay. <laughs> Temple needs to be the city's college basketball team. We have the nicest arena. We have a team with history. You know, you, ah. fair enough. That's for another day. They're out of the city, but I'll root when when Temple's not in it, and I can no longer have a team that I really want to root for in the tournament. I will not root against Villanova. How's that? Listen, if Mike Trout is a Philly guy, Villanova can be a city hey. team. Hey, he's not a Philly guy. Get out of here. He's an LA guy. Stay in Anaheim, you bum. Not really. I don't. I don't see. He, he's rich. Everybody's rich in the MLB. That's it. Justin, as always, thank you for everything you put into this podcast. It, it was good to come back with, uh, you know, two in two weeks. I think did we put one out last week? I guess I shouldn't make that statement, but I feel like we did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, thank you for everything you do. I'm gonna keep trying to put out content consistently. And uh, if you hadn't noticed on our last episode, Justin is using his awesome new mic on his awesome new program, so that we both have clear sound instead of using the Skype sound. I do have some bad news to break. Mine stopped recording like 20 minutes ago, so the last 20 minutes of this episode is gonna be uh, Skype sound. Luckily. We have good Skype sound compared to normal Skype sound, but you know, first hour and a half of this episode's golden last 20 has the best content with our fave five, but it is going to be on Skype. Another tangent on an ep- uh, on a freaking podcast full of tangents. That's our tagline flying high. The Philly fans perspective, a podcast full of tangents. Justin, thank you. As always send request play us out. So tell me what I'm